0: Good morning, Door Creek. How are we? Good it's good to see you. You, get, you look great. <laughs> you do. Uh, my name is Ryan. For those of you who uh, may be new here or maybe just we haven't met yet, I'm the DeForest campus pastor. Uh, my pleasure to be a part of just our, our teaching team and, and been working hard this week and praying hard that God would use uh, his word uh, in your lives today. So I'm happy to be here. Uh, can, I, can I give you, like, general surgeon's warning, though, so, like, heads up? So, school has started. Are we excited about this? Yes? I have three kids. They go to public school, which is kind of a cesspool of viruses and germs. And so what that means is, you know, all of that filters through the house. So I've got this cold thing happening here, which is why I'm not yelling. Uh, normally, I yell. I didn't really know that. Until last night, I preached, and I had to speak quietly. I was like, "I yell a lot normally. I'm not gonna yell today. You're welcome. I've got, I've got good stuff up here. I've got like hot toddy minus the whiskey. Also, you're welcome. Uh, I literally have been like eating cough drops by the, the barrel, and I, I'm well equipped. But so here's here's the deal. You might see me like pause and like." deal with this tickle in my throat and stuff, don't feel sorry for me, okay? Just let it go. Uh, I, seriously, I've been like just praying that, that this wouldn't be a distraction to you. So don't worry about this. Just, just read your Bible if, if that happens. Are, are, you, are we good? Are we good? All right, let's, let's move on. Okay, so uh, we're, we're gonna do an experiment in cued recall, cued recall. So go ahead and stand up if you can, if, if you're able to stand up. <laughs> What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna say, say this line and if this is familiar to you and you know it comes next and I would like you to complete the whole rest of the saying, okay? You with me? You got it, okay. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well done. Go ahead and take a seat. Give someone a high five next to you. I'll tell you, leadership is overrated. You guys had needed nothing from me with that. Okay, show of hands. When I when we started saying that, who like just instantly jumped back to maybe like English 400 years ago and started saying art and thine and, and words like that? Yes, okay, don't be ashamed, it's all right. Um, Okay, who said debts? Forgive us our debts. So those are our NIV people. Who said trespasses? Oh yeah, okay, so we memorized this in the King James, didn't we? (laughs) Yes, we did. And uh, who, well, (laughs) it seemed like pretty much everybody added this little line at the end, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So did you know that's only in the King James? It's not in uh, any newer translations, which are actually based on older manuscripts. If that bugs you, we can talk about that later, but that's a thing. Uh, but I, I hear you, and I, I don't have that. It's like, I, I need somewhere to, some way to say amen, right? It's beautiful. So these words, these words have been uttered more times probably than any other collection of words in history. But what do they mean? I mean, actually, what what are these words? I, and I think the richness of this prayer can be lost on us precisely because it's so familiar. I mean, it's it's embedded in our individual and cultural imaginations. Uh, so we just moved here from Reno, but when we first moved to Reno, Nevada, we moved in next to an airport and we were really worried. So we we're like, this is gonna be loud, you know? and every, sure enough, like every 15 minutes, a big old plane would come rumbling in overhead, just three or 400 feet above our above our house. And at first it was kind of like annoying, but also cool. I'd take my kids out and we'd look at the planes coming in. Like, wow, isn't that awesome? Just feeling the power, the ground would shake a little bit. But then, wouldn't you know it, a week or two later, like I didn't notice those planes at all. They were still coming in, but they just kind of blended into the din of, of everyday life. Either that or my kids were louder than jet engines, which is possible. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what can happen with this prayer. It can become so familiar to us that it just kind of blends in. And that's, that's not good. That's not good at all. Because what is this prayer? I'll tell you what it's not. It wasn't Jesus just kind of coming up with like, well, I guess if you do pray, here, here's a suggestion, here's a, here's a guideline. It wasn't that at all. I mean, there were over 600 prayers listed in scripture. What is it about this prayer that makes it so important to us, so important to Jesus? He actually wanted to make sure his disciples learned it. It's in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke. And I think I think what this is, what this prayer is, is it's, it's, a, it's a, a phrase, a collection of words that that really embodies uh, and articulates what God is all about. Like he's, Jesus is inaugurating this movement, this kingdom, and he's saying this prayer captures what that is all about. It captures the good news. I mean, I would just call it, I would call it an anthem of the kingdom, an anthem of the kingdom. You know, there are songs that you hear and instantly it takes you to a point in history or some kind of institution. You know, you know think Star Spangled Banner. And it, it brings you there and it somehow encapsulates. I think that's what this is. It, but this is an anthem that's speaking to the kingdom of God. And when we pray it, what happens is we hear coming out of our own lips the anthem of the kingdom. And, and we're partnering with God in what he's about. And we find that our prayers are just way more fruitful than when we just kind of make it up on our own. So if this prayer, uh, if, if it's new for you, first of all, just really glad you're here. And you get to dive into this right now. We're gonna, we're gonna walk through it, I'm excited for you. Um, but if it's maybe boring or rote or tired, then I just, my prayer for us today is that we can unpack this prayer and just rediscover its power and actually start to integrate it into our lives. Uh, On a daily basis, on a regular basis. I think that's what Jesus was after. So go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. Open your Bibles, your iPhones, your iPads, your eyelids. (laughs) Pastor joke. So, Jesus is talking about these things that he calls acts of righteousness, acts of righteousness. And he starts talking about um, giving to the poor. He talks about um, prayer and he talks about fasting. These acts of righteousness are things that Jesus is saying like, you're gonna find yourself doing these things as you move forward with the mission that I'm sending you out with. But, how and why you do them really matters. How and why you do them really matters because there are other movements and other institutions that have things like this. But what sets us apart is that we are motivated in a, uh, from a whole different perspective. So Jesus starts talking about prayer in Matthew six and he gives us two warnings and he teaches us this model prayer and then he talks about forgiveness and we'll get to that. So let's look at this first warning. The first warning is in verse five. Uh, It's a warning against hypocritical prayer. Hypocritical prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you." So Jesus is talking about religious Jewish leaders who love to put kind of their religious activities, their religious creds, their, their religious skills on display for everybody. So Jewish prayer was, was very different than the way we pray today. It was, it was scheduled and it was public. And it would be totally common um, morning, afternoon, and evening to be walking along and, and see a group of Jews gathered around a Jewish leader who would be calling out uh, parts of a prayer, probably the Amidah, and, and they would be responding back to him, back and forth, back and forth. And there was something about that back and forth, standing in front of people, that really, like some religious leaders were really, really getting their kicks out of that. And Jesus is like, that's not what this is about. So is Jesus saying here that it's bad to pray with other people or to pray in front of other people? No, clearly not. But when we're praying to be seen by them, that's what he's warning against. This is not a a case where we should go, okay, well, I guess all prayer should be private prayer and a, a lot of believers. Uh, have, have gone that way, and we miss out on some richness um, that we can experience in prayer. That's not what, what he's talking about. So what he's talking about is the very human and very real temptation to put our creds on display. Uh, in our modern, like, social media environment, we could call this virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. Have you heard of this? Okay. It, it's it's coming about. I, it's probably getting close to mainstream now, but here's what it is: it's every social group has these certain beliefs and values, right? And the more an individual puts, like their adherence to those things on display, the more their standing with that s- that circle is enhanced. Okay, so here's what I mean: running is cool, right? Running is good. Running is healthy. If you believe, you don't have to actually do it, but if you believe it, <laughs> put your hand up. Yes, <laughs> running is good. So I have, I have a friend, his name is Curtis. Uh, we went to Bible school together in Minnesota and now he lives in Madison and this dude is a runner. Check this out. So I, 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 I don't know if he would like his white leg sticking in that corner picture there, but anyway. The dude is a runner, and so if you scroll through his Instagram feed or his Facebook feed, uh, you'll you'll see pictures of him and his dogs. Just endless pictures of them doing what they love to do, running. So he says here, twenty eight miles of this today. Like I think I've run twenty eight miles in the last twenty eight years of my life, right? <laughs> so imagine, like I'm I'm looking at this, I'm going, Kurt Curtis is cool because he runs. I want to be cool. So what do I do? Well, I have social media too. So it would be like I did this, and I, I put some shoes on, <laughs> took a picture, chose the perfect filter and the perfect hashtag. And by the way, the shoes are new because they've never been used, right? And I get outside, and the sun is shining, and I stretch, and I get in my car, and I drive to McDonald's to get an Egg McMuffin, right? <laughs> what is that? That's hypocrisy, right? I mean, if you had seen this picture and then asked my wife, like, oh, so Ryan's really into running, she'd be like, what? (laughs) Mm Mm-mm, no, he isn't. And she'd be right. Uh, I like the idea of running, right? I know I should probably run more. Uh, I'm good at running the Keurig, you know, but. (laughs) Virtue signaling. And, and this is like when you see, you know, you're scrolling through a social media feed. I don't mean to pick on social media, but it just, it comes out here. And you see, like, the open Bible, and there's, like, the cup of coffee or tea, it's steaming. Like, you know, people are, like, hashtag blessed, you know, like, like, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with, with putting these righteous acts on display, but when that becomes for us a source of validation, Especially when it's hollow and it's not who you really are. That's when we've gone completely sideways. And, and this happens, like, it, it's, it looks like when I'm way more patient with my kids at church in front of all of you than I am at home with them, right? Or I'm presenting this, this uh, carefully studied text to you because you're gonna be watching and, and listening but then I don't crack the Bible open even once when I'm at home just to feed my own soul. Like do you get that? You see that, that virtue stigma, that, that temptation. So Jesus is saying watch out for that because when that starts to become a motivation for you to pray, what we're doing is we're saying, Lord, you're the, the blessing of just communion with you and, and interacting with you and talking with you, yeah, that's not good enough because I need some Human validation, and if that rings true for you, then probably what you're doing is you're seeing prayer as a duty to be fulfilled. It's not. It's a joy. It's a joy. So let's move on to the next, um, the next warning, which is against manipulative prayer. Looking uh, at verse seven here, and when you pray do not keep on babbling like pagans. I just like that phrase, babbling like pagans. I don't know, I should tell that to my kids, stop babbling like pagans, no. (laughs) For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So the word pagans here is simply a word that Jesus is using to refer to anyone that's not worshiping the God of the Bible. He's talking about all the other nations, all the other religions. Like, they're pious, they're sincere, but they're aimlessly praying to these idols made of wood or stone that can't actually do anything to help them. And Jesus' followers would have been picturing in their minds what they would have been seeing every day, which is walking along the marketplace and seeing these shrines set up. If you've been... um, in, in a lot of places around the world, it, it's still very much like this today. Shrines set up with food being laid there uh, or flowers, and you see people um, you know, bowing down and, and just muttering basically these incantations over and over and over again. Pious people, well-meaning people, begging their God to hear them. And what's underneath all of this religious activity is this belief that God, that God is reluctant to help me. That God needs his arm twisted a little bit to pay attention to me. He's too busy and preoccupied with God stuff. So what I have to do is I have to kind of batter down his door to get his attention. I have to be like the kid trying to get his dad to look up from his phone. It's like, dad, 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 and meanwhile, the dad is just like scrolling through, trying to ignore the kid until the kid goes away. God's not like that. That's not the kind of father that God is, and that's what Jesus is saying here. He's not too busy. He's completely capable and willing, as, and in fact, already has, by sending Jesus in the form of one of us, as one of us, he's stepped into our world And he's ready. He's ready to wrap himself around us. And he knows what we actually need, even if we don't. So prayer, prayer isn't about informing God about what he needs to know so he can help us. Prayer is about bringing us to the place where we get this, know him well enough to trust him. You see the difference there? And, not just trusting him kind of when things are good, but but knowing him well enough to trust him no matter what today looks like. So Jesus is saying, look, I know, I know sometimes it hurts, and I know you've been praying for things for a long time. I have been praying for things for a long time. But I think what Jesus would say is don't let that pain breed impatience in you. Don't, Don't try to pressure or manipulate God to get him to to agree with you on on what you need. He's already faced death for you. And there are prayers I've been praying for a long time. I don't feel like I've seen yet the answers that I would want to see. But I know Jesus is alive. And I know that he's waiting for us on the other side, like he's with us right now in our deepest, darkest pain. He's also with us on the other side because he just stands outside of time. He's with us in glory and in joy. There's no more pain and there's no more tears. Okay, so how about we look at the prayer? Is that cool? Can we do that? You can leave if you don't want to, because I'm going to. (laughs) But I hope you stay. Um, So let's look at verse nine. Verse nine. So Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. And by the way, I think he actually meant that. Like, I don't think that was just kind of a suggestion. I think he actually meant like, pray like this, like pray in this way, like actually do it. Uh, this is important side note. Okay, so the first line: Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name. So let's say you're writing a letter to the president. How would you begin? Dear Donald, Don, Don Man, Dude? Probably not, right? Why not? Well, because personal titles require personal relationships. So in Jesus's day, you can read Jewish prayers, or there are loads of them, and Jewish prayers always focused on the power distance between God and people. They focused on his greatness, his holiness, his might. And so to a praying Jew, God was not someone to be addressed personally, right? And here's Jesus walking around like God's my father, calling him Abba, which would be like daddy for us today, just casually, and I was like, what? This is like totally scandalized by this. And this is crazy because what he's doing here, he's saying, no, that's not just a way that I relate to him, like you can actually relate to him in the same way. He does say like, Hollywood or holy be your name. And this makes sense because in the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, when God's described, it's like, it's like ferocious, right? So like um, on Mount Sinai, uh, God comes down in fire, in like this giant firestorm and everyone's freaking out. Uh, in Daniel and Ezekiel, so they're both prophets having visions of God and they see like God on his throne, he's surrounded by lightning and by fire and the message is really clear. It's God is holy, he's other than us, he's different than us, so stay away and stay alive. But here's Jesus, saying yeah, he is holy, he is unapproachably pure, but I want you to address him in the most personally intimate way possible, by calling him Father. What? There's this explosive tension between the words Father and Hollywood, like how can these both be true? But I think it's in the juxtaposition of these two descriptions of God and that there's this power source for prayer and this power source of the gospel. And God is at once unapproachable fire. He's also a daddy who wants to comfort his children and forgive his children and welcome his children in. That's the message of the gospel. And in this prayer, I think Jesus is inviting us to step into the fire, like to cross over that threshold. He's saying this is where you belong. This is where you're most loved. Isn't that amazing? So this is, I think it's so incredible and just brilliant that this is the first line of this prayer because it's this threshold we have to cross over. And so before we bring our needs and our desires and our burdens to God, we have to just come to terms with this, the holiness and the love of God. It's amazing. Let's go to the next line. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Anybody here have a daughter? I have one, she's amazing, her name is Ivy. And she walks around her bedroom like she owns the place like it is definitely Ivy's room. She's got her craft table and all of her stuff and like little snippings of like snowflakes all over the floor and her Lego creations and her dolls all like set up like artifacts in a museum. Like you don't have to know my family to know where Ivy's room is. You just walk by and go, oh, that's Ivy's room, even if she's not there, because it looks like her. What about God's domain? I mean, what would a place that's submitted to his rule look like? That's a really, really important question. I think that's what Jesus is wanting us to think about here and pray for. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, what we're saying is, Lord, let this space where we are, let it match your space. Let my desires align with your desires. Let my dreams find their brightest fulfillment in your dreams. Tim Keller calls this bringing heaven into the ordinary. It's asking God to extend his royal power over every part of our lives, our cities, our families, our emotions. What, so what is God after? And all you have to do to find out is read the Bible. You find out what's important to God, what his kingdom looks like. Micah 6.8 tells us he loves justice for the oppressed. Leviticus 25.25, 25, he loves provision for the impoverished. Second Peter 3.9, he loves forgiveness for sinners. Malachi 4.6, reconciliation for broken families. John 17.21, the unity of the church. Like this is just a short list. You can go on and on and on. So what's the lesson here? The lesson is before we even begin to bring our needs to God, we have to first align our prayers to His. Does that make sense? Like the order is super important. Like sometimes I reverse the order and I kind of like just get anxious and I rush God with my needs, my desires, my burdens, and I I miss, I totally miss how all of that fits into the bigger, more glorious picture that God is painting. I think guys, sometimes that's why our prayers don't get answered. We're missing the greater glory that God is weaving Himself through our lives, and yes, sometimes through our pain. So we're just super practical. Like when when you get to this line in, in the prayer, I think it would be helpful just to go, okay, God, what is on your heart? Maybe develop some sort of list, some of the values of God, and just pray into one or two of those areas. And just watch, just watch how as you go on, as that extends over months and years, how those, those issues that are important to God become important to you. It's really cool. All right, daily bread, daily bread. So uh, verse 11, give us today our daily bread. So there's this great philosopher, uh, Blue the Bear, um, and he said, and let's see if you can finish what I'm about to say. Look for the bare necessities. Come on. Mm. Hey Amen. Yeah, you got it. Nail it. Oh, you can stop now. Thanks. <laughs> it's a great song, actually. I was preparing for the message and I started listening to it. And I was like, I need to listen to this song way more often. It like breeds content in me. That's good. So in this section, um, bread, bread, it means food. It's just kind of a stand-in for food, but it is also talking about really all the basic needs uh, of life. So this is where like, we bring our prayer list to God. Like we all have those lists. We have someone we wanna be healed. We, we need wisdom for a business decision. Uh, we have Aunt Agatha's knee surgery coming up. You know, we have those things and, and they're important things and we bring those to God. But here's, here's the cool thing, because we get the order right, because we get the flow right, like we've already found our, our deepest uh, contentment and satisfaction in God. So what we're saying when we say, Lord, give us our daily bread, we're saying, look, I, I already know who you are. I know what you've invited me to. I've given myself over to the good things that you have on your heart for the world. Now, I'm just humbly asking, that you provide for me and my family and my tribe and my enemies, the things that we need. No more, no less. So again, really practical as you practice this section of the prayer, just bring your prayer list to God, create a list if you don't have it, if, if lists are helpful to you, and just really specifically name stuff. There's something about saying the specific thing so, Lord, I'm feeling really anxious right now about this work project or, or whatever. I'm, the, this relational issue with so-and-so is really stressing me out. Or, I, I'm not sure what we're gonna do until the next paycheck comes. Like, name those things specifically and humbly ask God to provide. Which brings us to verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So this is about confession of sin. Confessing sin and brokenness to God. So when we tell God this stuff, are we telling him stuff that he is like, whoa, I didn't know that. Like he already knows this stuff, right? We're not catching him off guard. That's really key. He already knows. He knows exactly. Uh, those sinful habits, those those thought patterns, those self-destructive moments that we would like to just prefer to hide from the world. So what we're saying when we say forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors, we're saying, Father, here I am. Here's the real me with all the good and the bad and the ugly. I need you to forgive me. And in that moment, in that moment, all of our regret gets turned to joy and our shame gets turned into worship. Have you experienced that? It's a beautiful, powerful moment. And if you haven't experienced that, I hope that you can do that today. It's a powerful moment. So there's this, um, this movie, um, I'm careful not to say old movies because people who are older than me <clears throat> get offended, but uh, this movie was made in 1971 before I was born. Um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, any fans? Yes? It's the real one, not the new one, like this is the real one, Gene Wilder, awesome. So there's this scene where Wonka is like leading his guests into this hallway and the hallway starts to get like smaller and smaller, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you're having memories come back and pretty soon there's like a dozen people all crammed into this little corner and there's like this basically like a doggy door that they have to walk through and they're like, I'm not going through that. That's crazy. And Wong is, you know, in his true to self way, just like, Ugh! and he opens the door and it's actually this huge gateway that opens up, right, into this edible candy wonderland. It's, it's hilarious, but I think that's a helpful analogy of what's going on here in this section of the prayer. The joy of right standing with God is only found through what Martin Luther calls the low door of humility. The low door of humility and confession becomes a gateway of grace to us. And in prayer, like when we pray, confession and forgiveness are are kind of two sides of the same coin. So when we confess our sins, we're looking squarely at the devastation that we've caused in our relationship with the Father, our relationship with uh, people around us, because of our self-centeredness and our sin, like we're not glossing over that. And in forgiveness, what we're doing is we're acknowledging the ways that people have damaged us. So both acts require honesty. We have to acknowledge them and name them. And that's the hard part, but praise God, it doesn't end there, because these acts, it's, it's almost like this shame and this baggage just falls off and we walk through that low door and suddenly we're free in God's grace so again, really specifically just name that stuff name those grudges those relational issues name those sins or those habits or those thought patterns that are creating a gap between you and the father and bring those to him how you doing, okay? yeah, alright talk about temptation? No? Okay. So verse 16, uh, not 16, 13, sorry. Uh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So this is weird, right? Has anyone ever thought this is weird? Like is God in the business of leading his people into temptation? Have you ever thought that? It's kind of a tension here. So let's talk about this. Um, I think what this doesn't mean is God is sneaking around setting booby traps for us. Like, oh, let's see what they're really made of. <laughs> you know? I think the most helpful way to approach is to, is to think about the, the ways that Jesus was led into temptation and testing. Can you think of any times, for those of you who are familiar with the story of Jesus, any times where He was led into temptation and testing. So there are two that that I can think of in the Gospels. There's, um, when Jesus was um, led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days and encountered our enemy, the devil, and basically was offered a shortcut into ruling everything, um, one that would avoid pain and death, but Jesus knew Jesus knew that the way the Father had set up for him to to be the king of all the earth was through loving self-sacrifice. And Jesus passed the test. (laughs) Like Adam and Eve failed in the garden. It's the same test, same deceiver, they failed. Jesus passed the test. The other time is when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, hours before um, he was gonna be led to the cross. He had the opportunity to pass this all up but he didn't. He said not my will but yours be done. So here's the thing guys, those of you who have maybe been following Jesus for a while, is following Jesus easy? No, and if you're considering following Jesus, you should know that, it is not easy. You are going to be confronted with temptation and with testing and with trials. And here we have in this prayer right here, this, this dynamic, powerful resource. We have, like we're not just following someone who is, is hypothetical about this, like he has passed the tests and we can lean on him. We can ask him to deliver us, to lead us out of those things successfully. Okay, so th- there's, there's kind of the prayer. We could, we could spend a lot of time and that we're, we're done uh, with that section. But um, so here, just a helpful kind of tip. So when you think about how do I integrate this prayer into my everyday life? So think flow, not formula. Think flow, not formula, okay? So uh, you don't need to be afraid about getting this wrong. You don't need to be afraid about messing up the order or the words. Um, you could memorize it and just recite it. Don't let it become a rote thing because um, ironically, then we, we go into the second temptation thing of uh, praying manipulatively. But think flow, not formula. So uh, as I was talking with some friends about you know, some helpful analogies for the prayer. Someone said, and this is brilliant, she's kind of like jambalaya. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, Well, jambalaya is like this loose kind of set of ingredients that you can mix and match and add. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. So this prayer is jambalaya. Right? It's not a boxed brownie recipe where you have to have like exact measurements and it has to be in the oven for this amount of time at this temperature or you just get brown slop. It's jambalaya. So let's look at verse 14 and we'll wrap up with this. There's this, this add-on at the end of the prayer because it feels like an add-on. Jesus said, for if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So what does he mean by that? Does he mean, look, if you can't forgive people who have messed you up, then I'm not gonna forgive you, man. Like that's, you need to take that first step to kind of like earn or deserve my forgiveness. That's not what he's saying at all. Because we already know God has already taken that first step with us. So think about what forgiveness is for a second. And I think this is so, so important. What is forgiveness? So you have two people, you have one person who did something that was wrong to the other person. And this person broke trust with this person. And there's a chasm, there's a gap. But then suddenly this person moves toward this, this person who hurt them, not with rage and bitterness and revenge, but with love and a desire to bury the hatchet and move forward without holding anything against them. That's a powerful, powerful thing. Like that's not a natural thing. You don't see animals in nature forgiving each other. You know, two squirrels fighting over a nut, you know, and they like shake hands. Like you don't see that shake paws, I guess. No, they, they chew each other's faces off. That's, that's nature. Forgiveness, forgiveness is a supernatural act. It's a supernatural act. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, you have to understand forgiveness because that is what God is all about. Like, if there is one characteristic that we would elevate and say that that in order to pray well, you have to understand and grasp this characteristic, Jesus is saying, it's forgiveness. That's what he's about. Let's pray. I'll invite the worship team up. Jesus, we thank you for this poem, this prayer, this anthem that embodies and articulates what you're all about. And I ask, Lord, would, would you help us to, to use this? Not to cast it aside or take it for granted, but actually use this, and as we turn into the fall and we get into uh, rhythms and, and daily routines, I pray that, that you would grace us with the ability to incorporate this prayer, this model of prayer into our daily lives. Lord, I pray that, that we would respond to your invitation that you've given us uh, into your forgiveness, into your grace. We love you for everything you've taught us and everything you've given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.